This is what's that Westland theology about on uh, September 27th, our fifth session. But on that fourth session, we talked about it's not universalism. It really is Wesley's understanding of God's uh, work that, um, let me just run through this real quick uh, here, that uh, his understanding that the solution to the human condition, which is total depravity, matches our, the solution to the human condition, prevenient grace, matches the problem of the human condition, total depravity. So that's Wesley's understanding that that salvation has a universal feature to it because of God's prevenient grace. We talked a good deal about that. Prevenient grace is based in the nature of God, that He truly loves the world. We went over that. Uh, Wesley believed that that the presence of prevenient grace made the offer of salvation universal, that God truly loved the world, and gave grace uh, to human beings. And I don't know if I said this, but it, it's a fact that, that this is, again, largely an understanding of God's presence in the world. Prevenient grace isn't a commodity, isn't a thing. It really is God's redeeming presence in the universe uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. When it says, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he'll convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And so uh, Wesley believed that the presence of prevenient grace, which is really the presence of God, uh, made the offer universal. Uh, no discrimination there. Uh, then prevenient grace enlightens our understanding of our circumstances and enables us to have the initial desire to please God. Uh, some of the church fathers uh, said it like this. I like, I believe, uh, Irenaeus and others that said that, that really prevenient grace excites in us. I like that excites in us the desire to please God. To, to, to one, enlighten our understanding of our circumstance, which is what? Away from God. Broken relationship. And then enables us to have an initial desire to please God. I think I may have said, but I'll say it again. You know, we used to sing a song often about this kind of grace when it said it was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears Relieve that great song, Amazing Grace, John Newton. Uh, that uh, so that that idea. So <clears throat> that's that. Prevenient uh, grace is the key to Wesley's thoughts. This grace is extended to all and requires some response of cooperation. Prevenient grace is not irresistible, uh, but it is the key. He doesn't believe in what I call we call libertarian free will. That you can just wake up one day and decide to be a Christian. That associates with John 6 when he says, no one can come to me unless the Father draw him, right? No one can come, but, but if you go back and look at that, uh, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draw him. He said, but this is the will of my Father, two verses later, that everyone who sees the Son and believes on him may have eternal life. So this drawing is universal, this desire. And so it's, it's, it requires some cooperation, I said our staff the other day, we were doing some training that, you know, one of the things that we got a little confused is that we we don't realize sometimes that God's love is unconditional, but there is no such thing as an unconditional relationship. Those don't exist. I mean, I could love my wife madly and she could not respond. That is because a relationship requires some kind of response. There's no such thing as an unconditional relationship. There is unconditional love, but not unconditional relation. And that's where we get, I think, a little confused at times that Wesley says people can cooperate or not cooperate. 
uh, depending on their response. So we got to keep that. You know, I, I don't read all of her stuff, but Brene Brown is a real famous author. And Brene makes the statement that clarity is kindness. If we're clear about these matters, we want to be careful with people. We want to say, look, God's love is unconditional, but there is no such thing in Scripture or in our existence where relationships are unconditional. The nature of a relationship requires cooperation or response. So Wesley's right in there. Uh, Second of all, this offer uh, is a solution of prevenient grace based on the work of Christ, obviously. Based on the, the work of Christ. That He is preveniently uh, coming to all of the, the world. I, I gave you that, remember that passage. I, let me just remind you that uh, wonderful passage in 2 Peter 2, 1-3. to You got there on your notes there. Who did Jesus die for? Even those who denied Him. Yeah. But what, what was the language that He used there? He bought them who? The false prophets. Yeah, isn't that amazing? That they, these will come in, he says, who will come in and bring heresies and deny the very Lord that bought them. So this idea of it's the solution here is in the matter of the work of Christ. He died for the false prophets. He tasted death for everyone. Hebrews 2.9. So that, that's where we were. We, we're going to finish here now. Now, uh, here we go. B, okay, but I've got that, a solution, or C, I'm sorry, that's where we were. A solution, prevenient grace offers a solution that accounts for the language of the New Testament. Now when I say that, here I'm going to run through this pretty quick. But the language of the New Testament makes these kinds of statements. Uh, and I'll just, I'll just kind of share this with you. Here we go. Whosoever will, let him come. And drink of the waters of life. Revelation. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Acts 2.21, Romans 10.13. Whoever believes, 3.15, John 3.15 and John 3.16. Whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever would lose his life for my sake will save it. Matthew 6, 16, 25. Uh, you know, here it is. The Spirit and, the, and, and then these, these invitations to come. In a Revelation 22, 17, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Romans 10, 9 and 10, and let the one who hears the gospel say, come. And let him who is thirsty, come. And the one who desires to take the water of life, buy with that price, come. This kind of language has to be accounted for. Whoever, 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 and everyone, everyone, everyone. And so Wesley says this prevenient grace is extended to all because it accounts for this kind of language. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? You see that, you know, these kind of categorical statements. Uh, I love what John Bunyan did when he, on John 6, 37, when it says, all that the Father give to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, doesn't say why. It just says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. There's the whoever again. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. <clears throat> so this, uh, this matter of this solution, prevenient grace accounts for the language. However, again, this uh, matter, this solution calls for faith. <clears throat> faith this, this solution calls for faith. 
Now, I'm going to give you a couple of ideas here, and we'll, we'll run in it pretty, pretty fast. Um, faith uh, is outward-looking always. This, this call for faith <clears throat> means to look away from yourself. To look away from the self. A.W. Tozer used a great uh, image when, when he said um, that faith is like your eye. It sees everything but itself. Your eye can't see its eye. Why? Because it's outward looking. Faith is always outward. In other words, I've come to the point now, or place now, that I'm not looking to me for the answer. Faith is this understanding that I am now looking out. And so how does faith come? How do we experience faith? What does the writer of Romans tell us in chapter 10? Huh? Hearing. Yeah. Romans 10, 19. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. A word of God. You know, different translations have that. So this faith is outward looking because it comes from the outside. It comes when I hear the gospel. It's, it's not self-generated. Does that make sense? <clears throat> faith comes from hearing. When people say, well, you know, I'm having trouble with my faith. I say, well, how much of the Bible are you reading? Are you spending time in God's word? Are you, are you letting your, God's word saturate your mind and thinking? That's how faith comes. So <clears throat> faith is, an, is outward looking as a gift from God. Second, uh, this solution calls for faith in this. Faith is not a work. Now, I've had friends of mine, good people, who um, from a more Reformed tradition uh, really struggle with this to say that I'm contributing to my salvation by faith. Well, I say, well, I'm not contributing. I'm responding. You know, it's if somebody said, here's a hundred dollar bill. I'll take it. <laughs> I didn't create the $100 bill. I didn't, I didn't make the offer. I didn't create the circumstances under which it could be given. That The giver did all that. I just received it. <clears throat> and so there is some argument at times. Well, you're, <clears throat> you're, you're having to work. Have you heard this before? That yeah. It's a work. Mm-hmm. It's a work. <clears throat> Look in your Bibles here real quick at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. <clears throat> this is uh, really... <clears throat> really instructive. <clears throat> in, <clears throat> in discussing this matter about works and faith, Paul picks this up in Romans 4 about Abraham. It actually starts in chapter 4. What, then what, you know, after he declares we're made right with God by faith, he says, then what about our father Abraham? What did he find? Okay. <clears throat> so he works that in verse 4 of chapter 4. Somebody got that? Somebody read 4 and 5. Of chapter 4. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So notice the contrast in verse 5. Now, Liz, read that again. And and, and get that that, uh, conjunction, but. However, to the one who does not work, Trust God who justifies the ungodly. So what is the opposite of work? Trust. Trust. I'm going to read an ESV. But to the one who does not work, but believes. 
So what's the opposite of work? Belief. That conjunction right there is like a, a roadblock in this idea. But to the one who does not work, but believes. Is in, uh, but the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted or reckoned or put into their account as righteousness. So, so faith can never be understood as a work. Yes? You said just a couple minutes ago, um, Wesley believed, well, I think mm-hmm. Wesley believed that faith is a gift from God. Mm-hmm. How does that reconcile with the person that has the responsibility mm-hmm. to believe? Well, it's a gift from God because how do you get it? From hearing the word of Christ. Is the word of Christ God's gift? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So faith is not this generated thing in human beings. The, the gift of faith comes because God has brought Jesus into the world and the gospel is now being declared. And so it's, in that sense, it's a gift from Him. So it's God <clears throat> opening the eyes of the reality. Yeah. Lost, yeah. Jesus has died. Exactly. I need that. Yeah. But then there's a personal choice. Right. Yeah. I, it's, I don't think it's the idea like, okay, and by the way, you know, you go to... Um, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, in, in, in English, it, it's an indefinite pronoun, typically modifies the last noun. Cliff was running down the street and he, so he goes back to Cliff. In Greek, it's not like that. In Greek, the pronoun has to match the noun in I know this sounds a little negative. In, nouns in Greek have case, number, and gender. So there's masculine nouns, feminine nouns, and neuter nouns. Okay? So when it says it, what is it referring to? It can't refer to faith or grace because they're, they're feminine nouns. And it is a neuter noun. So what the, the it is, is salvation. It is It is not the word, not your, but faith and grace are not being modified by it. So it's not a work. It's not just somebody, okay, you get faith and you don't, and you get faith and you don't. Salvation, by grace are you saved through faith. It, it is not of yourselves. What salvation is not of yourself. Yeah. I believe that too, but I've heard people take that same phrase and say it refers to faith. They don't know Greek. They don't know Greek. That's a harsh thing to say. But they don't. Because in Greek, it is as clear as... It is blaringly clear. One of the first things you learn in Greek is you have to... Every pronoun has to match the noun in case, number, and gender. It's very difficult in English sometimes. Like in Philippians 3 when Paul says, Not that I've already obtained it. When he says, I've... When he, he says, let me, get, let me dial back. When, when he says, that I might be found in him, having an odd righteous my own, that I might re- receive the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or become perfect, but I press on. It, by case number gender, refers to the resurrection. People say that, oh, not that I retain it or become perfect. I've, I've not become perfect. It's not what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. But again, this is where Greek grammar, to 
really important because English is so goofy. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, but it is because you. I'm just saying that that's a standard, basic rule of Greek grammar. And uh, my Greek professor, I was talking to my wife yesterday. I said, my Greek professor is 92 years old and living by himself. And I said to Becky, I probably need to call him, just talk to him. His wife died a couple years ago, and he uh, went to Duke and and uh, beat our brains out in class. We were scared to death of him, scared to death of him. He would work us. One day, I'm being recorded, but one day, <laughs> one day chapel went over a little bit. These guys know I went to chapel. One day chapel was over. It, when chapel was over, this guy left chapel and went to the classroom. Didn't matter what was going on in the, in the chapel. And my buddy was taking Greek. He was in another class. And I was, my buddy walks in. Don. Don walks in. There's nobody in the room. And the professor's lecturing. <laughs> lecturing. And says to my friend, Hello, Don. We're unpaid. Blah, blah, blah. And Don is going... And, and, and this is also the, my professor who tested you on test from the footnotes. Oh, dear. So it wasn't just the content of what you read. It was the footnotes. So anyway, so that, but that, that's a, there are not a, I'll just say this. You don't have to know Greek to understand the Bible generally. But there are certain places where Greek grammar really makes a difference. Uh, and that's one of them. So thank you. Uh, faith's not a work. Okay, third, faith, um, let me see here, where am I? Faith expresses itself in repentance and trust. Faith is not just some academic exercise. In fact, I'm going to give you real quick, there are three features of faith, like this matter of repentance and trust, um, that, that this, is, this is historic Reformed theology from the Reformation on. Faith includes Notitia, N-O-T-I-T-I-A. It's the Latin term for a concept. It just means you have a notion. Jesus Christ is God's Son. Okay, I heard that. I know that. I know it. It's called notitia. I know it. Okay? You can quote it, whatever. Second, it must have a census. A-S-S-E-N-S-U-S. A-S-S-E-N-S-U-S. That's the idea of agreement. I know it. I agree with it. No one would ever believe from an orthodox biblical standpoint that a person has notitia and has a census has faith. Because there's a third feature that has to be present. Fiducia. F-I-D-U-C-I-A. Do you know anybody has fiduciary responsibility for money? What does that mean? They have, they have to hold this trust. They have responsibility to it. Fiducia means I finally now put my trust and belief in this matter to where my life is now ordered by it. No orthodox theologian would ever think that because you know the answer and you agree with it, that you have faith. There are, there are multitudes of people that know what the Bible says and agree with it. But they don't have fiducia where they said, I'm going to commit my life to this. 
I'm going to surrender my life to this truth and allow God to let, lead me and guide me. I, I think that's where, in some ways, it's my opinion, it could, could be wrong, but I think we haven't talked about this enough that in the church in America today, the people think if they know it and can agree with it, they got it. They don't. Do you think that's why a lot of people say, I'm Christian? Yeah. Because they're like, yeah, I know Jesus was the mm-hmm. Son of God. Yeah. Hey, when you, yeah, because when you read surveys in America today, I think now 70% of Americans believe that there's a God. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it's this kind of idea. It's an intellectual exercise. I, I know it and I agree with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew a guy and he'd been in the church forever, a, pa- a church I pastored. He's dead now. And, you know, he, we were talking one time and he said, Cliff, you, you, you think there's some things wrong with me, don't you? I said, I don't know. And he said, <laughs> I said, I don't know. But, but he said to me, he said, you wondered. I said, you know, I, the thing that worries me is that I know you know the gospel and I know you agree with it. But I think you've let God know you keep your nose out of my business. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. And I'll do what I want to do. And that was pretty much his story. No, Cliff, I was thinking Billy Graham years ago. Used to just get him saved. That was yeah. It. yeah. And then they realized, oh, there's yeah. another part to this. You right. need to help him live out the Christian life. That's right. Got into discipleship training. Yeah. Yeah, you know who that was? <coughs> who did Dawson the Dawson Trotman? The Navigators. Right. That's right. Great, great organization. Yeah. So uh, faith expresses itself finally in. Um, in uh, repentance and faith. Then, this matter also, the solution calls for faith, uh, is this, faith expressing itself through love. Wesley's favorite verse about the Christian life um, was Galatians 5, uh, 9. Wait a minute, where am I here? No, what what am I thinking here? I just lost. I'll get it here in a second. Maybe. No. Uh, goodness. Here we go. Why did I say 5-9? Galatians. Here we go, Cliff. Or is it 9? Did I do that? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. 6. 5-6. <laughs> there you go. Make a little note here. Five six. Why? Where did I... I wonder what I was thinking. You know, I think I was thinking of First John four nineteen. Anyway, here here's what it says uh, in, in Galatians five nine. He says this. Um, see if I can. I'm sorry. Five six. What? A, good grief! I'll get it here in a minute. It's been a long day. Uh, notice this. What it says: For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Uh, Wesley was really strong on this, that he believed that in some ways the Reformation had failed to connect faith and love together. That faith just became an intellectual exercise. And so Wesley would say, look, if your faith is not issuing forth in love, he, he, he said this, I think it may be on your handout somewhere, but he said faith is the handmaiden of love. Maybe that's on there, is that? Did I put that on there? Nope. 
Faith is the handmaiden of love, the servant of love. And uh, it, it, it se- I think there's some truth to that from this standpoint. In the Reformation, there was a chant, if you want to call it, or a, or a yay for our team. <laughs> and it was sola scriptura, only scripture. Sola Christus, only Christ. Sola de gloria, only the glory of God. Sola, uh, I mean, fide, only faith. And uh, I said scripture, uh, oh, gratia, only grace. Nothing about love. That's an interesting omission. Now, I'm not saying that the reformers didn't think love was important. I'm simply saying that Wesley said they went too far. Or maybe they didn't go far enough. Now, the day was different. They're, they're in contest with the Roman Catholic Church that thinks they own salvation. Calvin, Luther, the rest of these guys are trying to pull it back. That, they, that salvation is by grace, through faith, through Christ and the Scripture, not the church. I get that. But Wesley wants to say, you got to go further now. You got to understand that it is faith, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> working through love. Because if faith doesn't issue forth in that, he would say, there's got to be a question about the nature of what this kind of faith is. Well, how do you think that displays itself? How does love display itself? Sorry, what? Yeah. I think a person would be content to know. Also, Just accumulate knowledge. Do you also think there's like a taskmaster hmm. type feeling? Maybe. I mean, it would be that I'm, I'm, I'm just accumulating knowledge and that in your idea with the taskmaster, that I just have to get more and more and more knowledge. The key is more and more knowledge, more and more knowledge, more and more knowledge. And I think a lot of people get trapped in that. That it's the idea that, that, my, that my Christian life just lack. if I could just get some more information to get a little more truth, it, that's a taskmaster for sure. And maybe judgment and condemnation. Yes. Yeah, where people are real judgy. Yeah. yeah. If you knew what I knew, you'd be all right. Yeah. 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 And so this is Wesley's favorite verse of the Christian life to say your faith, my faith, that has noticia, census and fiducia has got to express itself in a way where my my life makes a difference for others as well. And so, you know, you think about that <clears throat> makes sense. I mean, the we'll talk a little bit about this tonight. But when Jesus said or the the Pharisee came and said, What's the greatest commandment? It's not to have faith. <laughs> I mean, faith has to operate, but it's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. So if my faith isn't somehow getting worked in there somewhere, then, you know, and I remember uh, saying uh, to a friend of mine who went to another university, not Mac U, thought, where'd you go to school? He trained for ministry. Maybe. And he, he said to me one time, because, you know, in James it says, you believe, you know, and that's the Greek word pistuo, 
you believe. Even the devils believe. He said, well, that's a different word. And he goes, nope. Same word as John 3.16. The difference is that faith as a concept that doesn't cause any action is, what, is the kind of faith the devils have. They have notitia. They know. In fact, in the book of Mark, the only people who know who Jesus is are the devils. I know who you are. Uh, so they have notitia and a census. They agree. Hey, don't, don't cast us into the abyss before our time. Give us a little more time here. We know who you are. We agree. You're the God of the universe. No fiducia. No commitment to. No d- reliance upon. And so my friends said, it's a different one. No, knucklehead, go back to school. <laughs> go to Mac U. <laughs> that was terrible. I'm terrible. This may be why they're taking so long to edit these. That's it. Yeah. I mean, maybe editing this back there. Oh, Cliff did it again. Uh, but, but this idea of, of faith working through love. And so that, that's a, a significant feature that Wesley brings to the argument. I'm not saying again. I'm not saying other reform teachers like that wouldn't say that. But he really, I mean, he goes Hard to the hoop on this all the time. And so that leads into this idea that what we're going to deal with tonight um, on your handout, uh, the new one, is uh, this. Um, This uh, is a picture here. Uh, Maybe you know, you know what this is? It would be not. It's close. Van Gogh's Starry Starry Night looks like yeah, doesn't it? Huh? Time lapse of what? The North Star. The North Star in the Northern Hemisphere does not move. Well, I mean, if you put a big microscope on it, it wobbles a little. But to the average sailor or person that's trying to to get their you know coordinates, it doesn't move. Everything revolves around it in the Northern Hemisphere. And this was an image I thought. What is Wesley's North Star? What is it that uh, maybe differentiates or at least uh, causes someone to say, uh, in in my judgment, I'm going to say it this way. If you want to understand Wesley's theology, you're going to keep coming back to this idea. Everything about his theology revolves around this one idea. Okay? I'll share with you here in a minute. So, so... If you want to stay centered in Wesley's theology, you got to get this because everything revolves around it. You can't understand him in that regard. So what is Wesley's North Star? Wesley's entire theology revolves around the notion of love, holy love. And I messed around with another way to say it, W-H-O-L-L-Y. But holy love. I'm convinced, I may have said this before, but I am convinced that this word has got to get rehabilitated. In our culture, your kids and every immature person when they were growing up said, if you love me, let me have ice cream for breakfast, (laughs) right? And you're an adult, you know better. But our culture has lost this understanding of holy love. I, I don't even use the word love anymore. I'm going to I'm going to put the adjective on in the front of it that God is a God of holy love and we'll 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 look at that because we'll we'll see it this way the nature of God as holy love 
the nature of God as holy love. This is where Wesley starts. His theology, in lots of ways, would be, I think, Tippa, as Christocentric. It's who is Christ? What's, what's he telling us about God? And so um, I love this uh, quote by Dallas Willard when he says, there's no avoiding the fact that we live at the mercy of our ideas. This is never more true than with our ideas about God. How do we understand the nature of God as holy love? And, uh, you know, A.W. Tozer uh, made a statement that the most important thought in your brain is what you believe about the character of God. I mean, you know, you've been around church people or in the church or around your friends. Um, and when bad things happen, what do they say? Yeah, God hates me. Why, why, why did God do this? And you start, whoa, 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 where'd you get that? Where'd you get that idea that this tragedy has got, well, it's because there's these ideas. Tuck- Why does everybody blame everything else on the devil? Then? That's always Satan. The best of us always Satan. Why can't it just be human? Why can't it just be our yeah. own choices of... Yeah. I've had it on my time, but I can't think of... Uh, Consequences. Well, the, the freedom of choice... Uh, Free will. Free will. Well, I, yeah, I, I used to teach my students that there are three wills in the three wills in the universe: God, devil, yours. They all impact our reality. They all impact our reality. Now, where do you make the, the difference in which one? Yeah. Is it your own opinion? I mean, that's. Well, I, I would say one is. There are some bad things that happen in the world, what we call uh, uh, systemic evil, disease. Well, how come I got cancer? Well, because you live in a fallen world. But some people would say God made cancer because God made everything. So why would God make such a? I I would I would contend He did not make everything. (laughs) He did not make everything. He is not the creator of everything. I know there's a lot of things I had to unlearn. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I remember uh, when I was in seminary, um, you may remember, maybe if you're old enough, there was a a load of kids coming back from a youth camp in a school bus up around Florence, Kentucky. And a guy had been drinking all day and uh, just kept drinking and drinking and drinking, got in his pickup truck and drove down the wrong side of Interstate 75 Top to hill, sheared the side of that bus off, set it on fire, killed them all. And again, you don't have to agree with this, but my my view of the of the universe, how has God created reality? And what are that how's that work? I, I heard somebody on television, and again, you don't try to teach people this at a funeral. You don't try to teach this. But to comfort themselves, a person said, well, the Lord just wanted to take him home. No, he did not. And I thought, well, if that's the case, who is God's servant? So God had to decide to get somebody so drunk they wouldn't know what side of the road they're on. No. That does too much damage to the nature of God. Yes. That he is not good. That guy made a bad choice. Is why that he made a terrible choice. 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, you know, now that Jan's back from Europe, we can say this. You know, she flew in an airplane that was created by human beings. And there's no guarantee that thing going to stay together. Right? <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that before you go. There's no guarantee. You know, I had a guy in my church, you know, had a car wreck. And I wasn't trying to be funny with him, but he, he pulled out in front of a car. Got smashed, almost got killed. And he said, you know, what, what, what do you think God's trying to tell me? I said, Bob, look both ways. I mean, really, this is where, where we start over-spiritualizing everything. God's, I'm sure, Andrea, I'm not going to pull you out here, but I'm sure as a counselor, Andrea has to deal with this all the time. People ascribing to God everything. So it comes back to our understanding of the nature of God and the nature of reality. Is there really a presence in the universe that wishes us ill? You bet. I used to tell my students, the devil doesn't have the authority to kill you. But he's got enough people around here. You get stupid enough to get in a car with a drunk driver, he can pull it off. Because he would like to kill you. That's what he wants to do. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, you cooperate with people that are lined up with him and get in a car with a bunch of drunk people. It may happen. But that's your choice. That's not because he has this unlimited power to do something. And so what it does, what it really does is it smacks against personal responsibility and it smacks against what kind of world is this? Is there just one will? God's? If there is, I got some real questions. So, so this idea, of we're, we love, so let me, let me talk to you about here about holy love. So let's talk about the nature of holy love. The nature of holy love. Uh, I'm not, okay, here we go. Here we go. Let me give you these verses here. Holy love, I think, is found in 1 John 1, 5. In him is light and there is no darkness at all. That's holy. That In God there is light. There's no darkness. There's no goofy side to him. There's no scary side to him that he just kind of comes and whacks you upside the head. That's the nature of the Greek gods. They're unpredictable. They're, they're unreliable. They're just maniacs. And there's a dark side to them in the sense that you don't know what they're going to do. You know, even when God brings judgment on Israel, he always says, hey, I told you I was going to do this. You know, if you go after other gods, I'm going to spit you out of this land. It wasn't like, oh, wow, why that happened? You know, so there's God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. James says the same thing. The father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James chapter one. He's not this mysterious, unpredictable. You know, I mean, he's God, but he's revealed himself as good. In fact, I think Wesley would say and he did in certain places, that Wesley's theology was built more on the idea that God was good than it was that God was great. Wesley believed God was great. But he believed God was good. Supremely good. I love what Athanasius, who wrote 
One the, he's one of the church fathers wrote the book on the incarnation when he said, God is good. No, he is not good. He is the fountain of all goodness and there is no harm in him. Sure. If you look back at the Old Testament, mm -hmm. I don't want this to sound sacrilegious, or mm -hmm. God was not always a nice person. Huh. I mean, he, he smiped a lot of people, killed a lot of nations, and wiped a lot of people out. Mm -hmm. And it just seems like at this particular point, after the New Testament, it, they, don't, they seem to make it like you, you flipped a switch and you became a different God. Mm -hmm. Which is a little confusing, because God didn't change being God. You, you, uh, listen, you're raising a perennial uh, biblical problem to the extent that in the first century, a heretic named Marcion said that the God of the Old Testament is the devil of the new. That kind of distinction. Um, there's a book by a guy named Robert Lamb, L-A-M-B, called God Behaving Badly. It's a really good book. I'm read that. Yeah. What is it now? God behaving badly. <clears throat> yeah. Robert, I think it, his last name is Lamb. I think his first name is Robert. I've, re I've read it. I got it. By the way, I'm going to start a podcast on my, on my website, on the School of Western Studies. Here's the name of the podcast. I just decided yesterday. I read the book. You don't have to. <laughs> Cliff Notes. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to say Cliff's notes because I don't want to get in copyright problems. Yeah, I don't want to get in copyright problems. But it's all free so we thought yeah, but I, I read the book you don't have to. Uh, but uh, yeah we're starting next week or something like that do a podcast. Uh, but Lamb goes to that. Uh, but here let me let me just this is Cliff's big picture on the Hebrew Bible. Okay? What is God doing in the Hebrew Bible? Setting up yeah. Why? He's trying to save the world. Okay. What are those people Israel surrounded by? Pagan religious practices that he knows will dilute through syncretism to where Israel will cease to exist. And the rescue mission will be over. I think you have to take that into account. That God is so committed to rescuing the world. Now, go back though in Genesis when God speaks to Abraham when he says to Abraham that he's going to drive the Amorites out. But he says this, the cup of their iniquity is not yet full. God didn't just whack them upside the head. The first, he said the cup of the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet full. But I'll drive them out. And the constant problem in the Hebrew Bible is that the Jews keep getting involved with these other cultures, bringing their gods in, and only a remnant finally remains. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of this harsh kind of response. Um, you know, if you're on the one, if you're on this end of it, it's not an intellectual discussion. Um, but God is trying to save the world. And there, this is a big program. And to allow Israel to kind of dissolve would mean the destruction of the universe or the destruction of the world. Does that make any sense? No, I, 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 I just 
Oh, hey, listen, you are raising an issue that's been raised for 2,000 years. You are. You are. And there are people, listen, there's, I'm not even going to call their names. There are people who are making the argument that there really is that kind of distinction. That you can't even trust the Hebrew Bible. Can't even trust it. That's more progressive thought, right? Yeah. Yeah, and but that, that seems to be like people. <clears throat> I don't know if you can say this right again. <clears throat> making the religion or the belief what they want it to yeah. be because that's more of a feel good situation right. than it is a reality yeah. of what God is in totality. Yeah. Totality. Yeah. Did I say that right? Totality. Yeah. Well, and think about it too. I mean, again, when you when you study uh, W. F. Albright, uh, who was not a Christian or believer was one of the great um, uh, ancient Near East scholars. That's what we call it. It's A-N-E, ancient Near East. It's Mesopotamia. It's his Palestine. It's Assyria. It's Syria, all that area of the world. He's not a Christian or follower of Jesus. About the 1920s or 30s goes to that area and does a study. He, he makes his, and becomes a Christian. He makes his observation. There was never a more wicked culture on the face of the planet than the Canaanite religion. They're throwing their babies to the crocodile god and putting them in the arms of Moloch and burning them to death. So this is not that God's dealing with Presbyterians. <laughs> Although he should. <laughs> right? <laughs> Ooh, you'd get in trouble if you said that in Scotland. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, when you, when you investigate the cultural issues there, there is real danger that Israel will be dissolved and that God's project to save them. And so I, I, don't, I don't dismiss it. I don't, uh, say it's not, I don't say it's not offensive to most of us. But as you kind of dig in uh, to find out what, is, what the world's like at that time, it's brutal. And there is a sense in which uh, it, it can't, uh, be brought into Israel. And, uh, it wasn't some of its offense for me when I read chronologically through the scriptures. Yeah. And I saw that God warned them all the time of what he was going to do. Always and did. I saw the justice and the fairness of him yeah. to say, here's what I'm going to do, sometimes hundreds of years ahead of him. Yeah. Yeah. It was like that, that coupled with his actions yeah. less offensive to me. Yeah, that's a good point. We're doing the same thing right now. Yeah. Yeah, my theology gets real simple in this regard. My my whole theology revolves around this. Don't touch the hot stove. <laughs> Why? You're gonna get hurt. So what do you do? That's everything that God is. Everything that God teaches us, everything about the Bible is this. Don't touch the hot stove. When you do, it's going to hurt you. I promise you, but we don't believe it. So, all right, I got to go on. So, uh, uh, so uh, holy love. Let me. So, those are some verses and others. Let me give you what holy love is. Well, this is holy love. We talked about this before. That God is holy. W h o l l y. He's not. He's not just and love. He's not. He's not uh, wrathful and love. It's not. Yeah, but theology. He's merciful, yeah, but he's also love. Yeah, he's, he's 
wrathful. Yeah, but he's also justice. God is holy love. And I think I said this before, but his holiness, his mercy, his sovereignty, his justice, his wrath is an expression of his love. When I was a kid, my mother told me, do not go out in the middle of that road. Okay? We lived on a street. It, was, it seemed like a four-lane highway. I went back a few years ago. It's a little bitty street. <laughs> but when you're five, it looks big. So my mom said, don't go out there and play. Ever. Well, I thought there must be a rodeo out there or a carnival or something. Because my parents hated me, right? They wouldn't let me do what I wanted to do. So I went out there one day while my mom was on the phone talking to my Aunt Virginia. And my mom sees me in the middle of that road. She drops the phone. I'm not recommending this. I am not suggesting this. I'm just telling you, when she got my scrawny little arm a hold of me in the middle of that road and started giving me that belt every step, every word, I told you, I'm thinking, stop talking. You know? <laughs> From the middle of the street to the front porch. What was that? What did I think it was? Wrath. You see, God's holy love is not passive. It's not permissive. And it will not stand by and watch what is destroying His creation, whether it's people or the world. He's not going to stand by. The opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. It's I don't, I don't care what you do. I mean, I worked with kids at school for years and I realized they came from home where their parents didn't care what they did. And they, it was a mess. So the opposite of love isn't I hate you. It's at least if I hate you, I still acknowledge you. I look at you. I, yeah. But if I'm just indifferent, I, you, I don't care. So, so this idea of God is holy love that his mercy, his justice, his wrath his, uh, all, all these matters are expressions of a holy love that loves the universe and his creatures supremely. And he will come at you and he will deal with us just like a five-year-old is mad because life isn't working out because he said, don't touch the hot stove. I told you, don't do this. It's going to hurt you. So here's... I just love Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five twenty-eight, five thirty-two, six-three in Deuteronomy. He says, "Oh, that you had such a heart that you would obey me and keep all my commandments, that it might be well with you." Then six, uh, six twenty-eight, six thirty-two, uh, five twenty-eight, five thirty-two says it again. Oh, that you had such a heart to obey my commandments and keep, or obey me and keep all my commandments, that it might go well with you. Six-three. Oh, Israel, listen to me. That it keep all my commandments and do all that I say, that it might be well with you. That's holy love. Saying it's not going to go well if you don't do this. So here's the kind of the, the distinction. We'll probably end right here tonight. We'll, we'll pick it up. Holy love is a love that makes distinctions. Mommy, I want ice cream for breakfast. No. Because I love you. This is not good for you. And I'm going to make the distinction here. And you can scream and cry and yell and have a fit all you want to. 
Or you can say to God, I don't love you anymore. I don't like you anymore. I'm mad at you. Go ahead. But it makes distinctions between what is good for you and what is bad for you. And this is where we have the real problem. That we're... that. And, and, I've, and I've said to our staff, I, because love has become so, in my judgment, leveled out. When we say we want to be known by love as a church, we're going to have to distinguish that. That doesn't mean we approve of everything. We're, you know, we accept everyone. It doesn't mean we approve of everything. Why? Because holy love makes distinction. So I want to give you a little chart here that might help you with this. Um, I like prepositions. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a language person. I like words. Um, in fact, we were at the uh, PetSmart one time and, and uh, we're buying some cat food. And uh, we had a cat back then. We don't now. We're never having another one. <laughs> and, and the little girl who's been nice... Um, uh, says, so you have a cat. My wife grabs me right then. <laughs> She's talking. <laughs> and, and so I knew not to say anything. And then she says, do you like this food? And Becky said, Cliff, don't you say anything? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I've never had any of it. <laughs> when you use the word you, that's a personal pronoun. First person, you're looking at me. Anyway, so I like words. I like prepositions. So yeah, Becky, she knows how to kind of keep me there. So here's, here's maybe a way to remember this. Okay. Holy love will never give up on you. I, I don't, I don't know anywhere in scripture that it says God gets so frustrated with you. He gives up on you. Now in Romans one said he gave them up to their own desires, but it doesn't say he gave up on them. So holy love will never give up on you. Second, holy love will never give out on you. God is love. That's who He is. Now His holy love, if we keep touching the hot stove, we're going to keep getting burnt. But God's love will never give out on you. And this is the one we've got to recover. Holy love will never give into you. We were working with our staff. We're trying to send. We're going to have to have this. We, we got to get this language down to say. Now, when we're talking about holy love, we're talking about a love that will never give up on you. It'll never give out on you. And it will never give in to you. Now, that may be where on that third feature that people want to bolt and say, well, I, 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 I want a God to give in to me. I. I've got this, I've decided this, I'm going to go this way, and I want him to sanction it. And you maybe you can find a church at will. But our stance is that we're going to do as best we we're, we're willing to talk, we're willing to discuss matters. But we think there are some things that God is saying, no. And I think, again, that's why we're going to have to recover it. Because when people hear they, you know, we love you, what I've said is I don't want people to feel bait and switch. Like, oh, wow, these, they really love me. And then find out, you know, something like, oh, well, that's not something we believe is a biblical way to live. 
Um, well, you said you like, here we go, see? Because we, we, did, we weren't, like Brene Brown, clarity is kindness. Clarity is kindness. And um, if we can recover this. So I, again, I, I hardly ever use the word love by itself. I always use the adjective holy on the front end of it to say I want to I make sure we're, we're talking about the same thing. Does that make sense? Every parent understands this ridiculously easily. Well, of course you don't give in to this. You know, you're eight years old. You don't have enough brains to know what you're doing. You know, you know? but what do kids do? I hate you. Right? My dad said, get in line. <laughs> I think I was about 11 before I didn't know my dad's first name was Sir. <laughs> you know, but I was an immature kid. I, I wanted my way. And I thought if the world doesn't conform to my way, something's wrong with the world. And this is where, you know, I said that, you know, if God is God and you're not, and I'm not, then our lives got to get conformed to him. You know, and again, I'm using the pronoun him, not because I believe think God's a guy. God is a spirit, Jesus said in John. God is a spirit. Those who worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. But he has revealed himself in a guy named Jesus. Okay? So we, we can kind of understand that. So this idea of a love that makes distinctions, and here's the distinction. It will not give up on you. It will not give out on you. And it will not give into you. So we better stop there. You guys got to go.